You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, this is the first official week of Advent. Last week we did a prequel. We wanted to give you some things to think about and just kind of prime the pump a little bit when it comes to the conversation. And I love that we, each year, we partake in Advent. This is a 1,500-year-old practice. And it's a, it's a core value for us as, at Mission Ridge that we take these ancient practices and we bring them into our modern world. And while we, we have to live in this modern world, these ancient practices have some value. And so, so we do that each year this time. And it's a way for us to bring the sacred into Christmas. Christmas has always been a mixture of the secular and the sacred coming together. I know that some people worry about the fact that uh, some of the practices, some of the history of Christmas is really centered around pagan practices that that the Christians uh, took over. They um, they uh, redeemed, I guess, in a sense. And the question becomes, well, does this discredit our practice of celebrating Christ at Christmas? And I don't think it does. Because I believe that Christmas has always been about the sacred coming together with the secular. I believe Christmas has always been about the sacred coming together with the secular. God with us. Emmanuel. God putting on flesh. God choosing to enter into our world and live as a common human being. That's the sacred engaging the secular. And if Christ did that, then how much more should we do that? So we observe Advent to elevate the importance of the sacred. And it's our goal as a church that we will not miss Christ this Christmas. Logan said last week, Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation in the darkest days of the year for the arrival of the light of the the world. His first arrival and his second arrival. His first Advent and his second Advent. This light that comes into the world. Now, Logan last week shared the story of, of uh, Joseph and Mary and how Joseph was told about the light of the world when, when the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so like many saints of old, 
Joseph and Mary, they move forward in hope because of this promise of God. They move forward in hope because, simply because of this promise of God. And so this week we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So census is declared, and Joseph and Mary leave Galilee, and they head to Bethlehem because in the Jewish world, when there's a census taken, it's always done according to your lineage. And so they return to their ancestral home. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. I've been picturing this week what this moment must have been like for, for Mary and Joseph because we are told that Mary in particular said that you are a favored one. You are a favored one. Yet when they get to Bethlehem, when in this version it says that there's no place for them in the end, it's, it's really the best translation for that would be there's no place for them in the living quarters. Bethlehem would have been a, too poor of a community and too small of a community to have a Motel 6. And so this, Matthew isn't identifying the fact that the Motel 6 was full because there's too many visitors in town, but that the family, Joseph's family, for some reason said, you can't stay in here. You have to stay out there. And this picture, this next picture here, is a picture of a shepherd's cave that Aaron Couch took. Aaron Couch is on our board. He's standing there in the middle. And he's, he's talking about the environment that, that Jesus was probably born into. The space, the kind of space that he was probably born into. Because as cute as our nativity scenes are, they're not very historically accurate. And I picture Mary laying Jesus down, probably someplace like where my friend Keith Strasberger, he's over off to the right, sitting by himself. He's got the beautiful head there. He's, if I had a head like that, I would shave it completely bald too. Um, but that's Keith sitting off to the side. And I think Mary just was finding a spot within the stonework where she could lay Jesus in. And they move forward in hope, but this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of situation that you can find yourself when you're following God sometimes. 
where you question, did I get it right? Did I really hear him? Is God really with me in this? And if, if we stop at the story just at this moment, that could be scary. And I think we've all faced those moments where all, all these questions come rushing to our mind. And Mary and Joseph, they, they had real questions because they found themselves immediately in odds with their family. Soon they'll find themselves at odds with the, with the priests, with the religious elite. They find themselves at odds with Herod. Herod will try to take the boy's life. And they've always found themselves at odds with Rome. And so every institution, from the family to the religious to the political institution, it just seemed like they were at odds. It'd be easy in those moments to lose hope. We lose hope when we face problems that are bigger than us. I've lost hope in those moments. Have you? We can lose hope when we have unanswered prayers or, or at least a delayed answer. We can lose hope when we feel powerless, which... How easy is it for that to happen? We can lose hope when we face financial difficulties, when our health or someone else's health that's close to us is compromised, and and COVID-19 has done that for so many of our, our friends. And when I think about losing hope, I think in terms of, of playing a sport, playing, for me, it was softball. All through my 20s and 30s, I, I, played, I played softball. And, and, and have you ever played a game where you just, you knew, you knew you were going to lose? You knew that there was no hope because you could see your team and you could see their team and, and your team just didn't stack up. Problem is, life is not a game. But sometimes we feel like we're losing. Sometimes we feel like we're losing. In our call to worship video, and I, Joshua read out of Isaiah 64. And Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That, the, that you'd make the, the earth shake. That things would be set on fire. That, that we'd see your mighty acts again. Isaiah goes on to say that you did this before when we didn't even ask. And we're asking now. And then Isaiah wrestles with this question of, is it, is it our fault? Like, is it our sin? Is it our failings? Which is 
oftentimes where I go when I feel like I'm losing. Oftentimes where I go when I've lost hope with where we're at financially as a family or, or the long journey we have with, with Jasmine and, and their health over a couple of years and losing my parents in the midst of that. Like, is it my sin? Did I, have I failed you? Or when I come and help plant a church and, and we face all kinds of challenges, like am I, am I failing you, God? Am I failing my neighbors? But Isaiah speaks of a hope, a hope that the God who did miracles in the past would be the same God today. And I've had those prayers. I've seen God do cool things. And I long to see God do cool things again. This last spring, I read First Peter for the first time in, in a couple of years. And, and this time, I, I read it through a little different lens. I, as I read the letter that Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, I wrestled with the question of what's Peter going to say? What are the first words going to be out of his mouth to the church? Here's a man that spent three years face to face with Jesus. Few people spent more time with Jesus than this man. He failed Jesus. He was restored to service and told to go pastor the community by Jesus after the resurrection. And I wanted to know what would be his first words to you and, and to me. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope because Christ was resurrected to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Everything that I can touch, everything that I own will perish. It will be defiled. It will fade. It will decay. It will break down. I always kind of laugh when I'm at the store and I buy some new electronics and, and they're like, would you like the four-year plan? I'm like, No. <laughs> If I get two years out of this bad boy, I'm going to be excited. And two years later, there's going to be something brand new that I'm going to replace it with. I'm, I had to buy a Wi-Fi router this week and, and they asked me that question. I was laughing on the inside. No, I'm not paying for that plan. In two years, I'd forget that I had a plan. It's going to perish. It'll become defiled. It, it will fade. It will break down. But 
But we have this inheritance that God has set aside as that we can't touch. That we can't defile. That we can't cause it to fade. It is secure in Christ. Peter says, regardless of the chaos that ensues all around you. Peter's writing to a persecuted church. He's writing to a persecuted church, a church that's facing things much harder than what we're facing this year. And even though 2020 has been hard, I don't believe it's anything like what Peter was writing to. But regardless of your family situation, what's going on at work, what's going on within your relationships, how you're doing financially, how connected or disconnected you feel with God or the cave that God has led you to. Regardless of all of that, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Also, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that this perishable will put on the imperishable. Our salvation that is waiting for us in heaven won't be defiled like this body will be defiled. Will not perish like this body will perish. Will not suffer loss like this body suffers loss. Peter goes on to say, therefore, preparing your minds for action. He's literally in the Greek, it means to gird up your loins of your mind. And so when they would run, they'd, they'd have these long robes and they'd pull up their robes so that they could run so they didn't trip when they, when they ran. He says, gird up the, the loins of your mind and being sober-minded, set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. When he says to set your hope fully on the grace to be revealed to you, Peter uses that word teleos. We talked about that word a couple weeks ago. It's the same root as the telescope. It means to fully extend out, to, to make it perfect, to mature it. Picture one of those telescopes that you had as a kid, you know, and you'd, you'd to fully use it, you'd fully extend that out. Peter's saying that we can actively, like, like we're pursuing our maturity, we also pursue our hope in Christ. We fully extend our hope on Christ. And out of that hope you have in Christ, be holy in your conduct. 
I think of when I was a kid and when grandma and grandpa would be coming over, my parents, just before my, my grandparents would show up, they would be like, all right, guys, straighten up now. Best behavior. As we move into Advent, as we take time to reflect on and think about and focus on the return of Christ, the second advent of Christ, it should cause us to kind of straighten up. Maybe clean some things up so that when Christ does come, he comes with us prepared for him. Christmas has always been a mixture of the secular and the sacred. We do have to worry because the secular will look to push aside the sacred. What the secular offers is easier. Now, I know that this year is a little different, but typically by this point of the year, my Christmas schedule is full. It is planned out for me. I don't even have to think about it. There will be movies to watch. For sure, Elf, and probably Die Hard, at a minimum. Well, if my daughters have anything to do with it, I'll be watching Hallmark too, but you could pray for me. There will be countless parties. Countless parties. Over and over and over again, I'll be told to celebrate. And then shopping's planned out for us, right? There's Black Friday, there's Cyber Monday. We'll be inundated with ads. About the time we get tired of the political ads, we get the Christmas ads, and about the time we get tired of those, I don't know, was it Easter ads? I don't don't know what comes next. We don't even have to put much effort or thought to enter into this Christmas season and to have this secular part of this celebration take over. It takes very little effort or thought for us just to move along into Christmas. The sacred takes effort. I think in terms of, of Logan, like trying to light the, the flame, like it, it didn't come, it took effort Jesus is described as the light of the world. Each week we will light a candle. And when you're dealing with darkness, you don't throw darkness away. If if we had the ability to control all the lights in this room, I would have the lights go completely black to illustrate this. When it's dark, you can't get rid of the darkness You have to bring in the light. And so week by week by week, we will be lighting these candles. And then for the Christmas Eve service, we'll be each holding our own candle. And we will light those. And it's a representation of Christ coming in as the light of the world. And then each of us doing our part to bring Christ into our part of the world. This is what it means 
to bring the sacred into the secular. This is what it means for God to be with us. And Advent has traditionally been, for the last 1,500 years, a time of reflection. For us to look back on our year and go, how did I do? What did I intend to do? And what did I actually do? What were my goals and where did I land? What did I want to accomplish and and how did that work out? Uh, Meme this week that I saw... It says something like, uh, the most useless purchase of 2019, a 2020 planner. How did it go? It's a time of reflection. Also a time of repentance. We do some reflection and then we repent. I intended to change this about me. I intended to, to get better at... This I tended to swear less on reserve. Maybe swear not, never. I intended to only be thankful on Sabbath. To push aside all the complaining. But I have more work to do. So there's reflection, there's repentance, there's worship where we celebrate the Lord as being number one in our lives and then a time of recommitment. A time of saying, yes, this is where I'm going. It's, a, it's the cleaning up before, going, before grandma and grandpa walk through the doors. It's the cleaning up. It's it's putting our best foot forward when Christ returns. It's being ready for that return that could happen at any moment. And so the implication is this. Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation in the darkest days of the year for the arrival of the light of the world. It is a time to fully set your hope on the return of Christ. We think not only of his first advent, but his second advent, and what that will mean for us and those that we invite in to this relationship. So some next steps. Number one, wrestle with the question, what has robbed you of your hope this year? What has made you feel small or vulnerable or unheard? What fears and anxieties have dominated your thoughts? Do you feel hopeless at work? Maybe in a relationship. Maybe it's been financially maybe in politics, maybe there's a temptation that still trips you up and it just makes you feel hopeless, like this will never change. 
But I tell you, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful even for that. Maybe, maybe you feel hopeless in your connection with God. And for you, I just want to remind you that God chooses a name for himself that is Emmanuel, God with us. He longs to be with you. And in simple ways, he asks you to invite him in. Next step, take time to reflect on what it will be like when you're finally face-to-face with Christ. Reflect on what it will be like when you're finally face-to-face with Christ. What grace will you experience? What physical aches and pains is he going to take away? What tears, what sorrows is he going to wipe away for the last time? And when you are no longer prone to sin, what freedoms will you experience? I tell you, when I go to the scriptures, when I read about who I am to be in Christ, the kind of husband, the kind of father, the kind of brother, the kind of friend, the kind of co-worker that I'm supposed to be. Sometimes I'm pretty disappointed in what I see in myself. And that can make me feel hopeless. When I deal with different aches and pains, you know, I'm 50 years old, but man, last night I felt like I was 100 as I was trying to sleep, my legs just ached. I'm 50 years old, and sometimes I feel like I'm 100. You should have seen me hobbling around here this morning trying to get things set up. I told Logan not to get old. He says he plans on that. So I'm looking forward to the day when this body no longer hurts. I'm looking forward to the day when I no longer have to live with the regret of decisions I've made 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Looking forward to the day when I can put those regrets completely aside. Take time to reflect on what it'll be like when you're finally face-to-face with the Savior who absolutely adores and loves you. Number three, plan ways of incorporating sacred moments into your Advent. Your Christmas schedule may be pre-programmed for you. You may feel like you're on an escalator that you can't get off and you're just long for the ride. But we could bring in these sacred moments for our family for our friends, these sacred moments of recognizing that it's Christ that we celebrate, both his first advent and his second advent. Again, you could do that through reflection, taking time, planning time to have some moments of reflection and looking back on 2020. 
and then having time for repentance. It's a time of just agreeing with God. This is what is true of me. And this is where you're taking me. I've been here and this is where you want me to go. And I'm not sure how to get from here to there, but I agree with you. That is repentance. And plan ways of incorporating worship into your Advent season. Whether it's five minutes a day or 30 minutes on a Sunday. Our podcast this last week, uh, Jen Bartlett shared that with her girls, she got them when they were nine and 10. And early on, she just tried to find a fun way to celebrate Christmas each Sunday for the month leading up to Christmas. She says she would have been, she wished she would have been a little more intentional. And I think, I think we've all said that before as parents. Man, I wish I could have been a little more intentional in that Advent season. This is an opportunity to start off this Advent season right. Plan some time for worship and plan some time for a recommitment, for getting back on track with the things that you know that God is calling you and your family to. And finally, share the hope. Share the hope. When we light all the candles in this room on Christmas Eve and the whole room lights up because each person is doing their part in sharing the light of Christ, it's a picture of what can happen to this community, this, this county, if we will do our part to share the hope, to share the light that Christ has shined into our life and what it means to us and why we, above all else, have this amazing hope because of the expected return of Christ and the grace that we're going to experience when we're face-to-face with him. Share your hope. Because Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation in the darkest days of the year for the arrival of the light of the world. It is a time to fully, fully, fully set your hope on return of Christ. My friends, that's why we're here. And that's why we're carving out this time for Advent as a community of believers. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.